Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome, everybody. Today is September 11th, 2015. Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet uh, and even more all over the planet uh, today, we have a full complement of hosts, uh, Tiffany, Erica, Gabby, and Doug, and we have a very, very special guest host today. Zoya is with us live today. So Zoya usually does her pet health segment uh, at the end of the show. Um, but she's going to be joining us for the full show today, live in the studio, which is awesome. Welcome, Zoya. Yay. Thank Yay. you. <laughs> Happy to be here. <laughs> so there <Wow>. we go. <laughs> so, we, uh, yeah, we're, we're very excited about today. Um, we are going to be covering uh, the topic of pet health in general, and Zoya is going to be lending us her very valuable uh, experience. Um, so I guess, uh, Zoe, do you want to just say a few words about yourself, uh, whatever you're comfortable, uh, sharing with the audience today? Yes, sure. Um, I'm a fourth year student at the Vitebsk Veterinary Academy, and I'm very passionate about pet health and animals in general. And, uh, I'm also very passionate about providing animals with, uh, proper, uh, nutrition upkeep uh, basically best living conditions they can have uh, which is often is not available in the uh, mainstream veterinary science unfortunately uh, so yeah uh, a lot a uh, lot of things to learn and hopefully share awesome mm-hmm. awesome well let's uh let's start out a little bit kind of uh set the stage for this topic with uh we're going to skip our usual kind of connecting the dots today because we want to concentrate on pet health, but we do have one article that Erica is going to start us off with about um, dogs and how they are able to uh, sense our state of being. Is that correct, Erica? Yeah. So um, this article was carried from Discovery News back in 2012 by Jennifer Vegas, and it's titled why do why dogs really do feel your pain comforting distressed humans may be hardwired in dogs brains and uh, just a little intro it says the dogs may empathize with humans more than any other animal including humans themselves several studies suggest and um, there was two researchers or two research articles published one was in animal cognition and in animal cognition, they found that pets may, uh, pet dogs may truly be man or woman's best friend. If a person is in distress, the distressed individual does not even have to be someone the dog really knows. The other um, journal was Plus One. It showed that dogs' brains react as the canines view humans and what's going on in the dog's head. In this case, the researchers trained dogs to respond to hand signals that meant the pups would receive a hot dog treat. Another signal meant no such treat was coming. So I found this really interesting because Zoya had shared on a previous show the um, uh, like psychic abilities Mm -hmm. or precognition of animals 
So um, I, I found this really uh, interesting, and it's in in the article. There's a really cute picture of a baby holding a crying toddler and braces a dog, and uh, the dog is comforting the baby. So maybe you want to share a little bit with us about that. Have you read any of this this, this research, Zoya? Uh, about the precognition, the telepathy. Yeah, and just this this idea that dogs um, can comfort humans or that they can sense distress in humans. I know that service dogs are trained to um, help humans with, like, epilepsy and things like that. Yeah. We also have service dogs for PTSD vets, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the um, basic things uh, to say about that. Uh, is that um, there is another research that was done in in this area uh, that we both appear to produce oxytocin. Oxytocin is uh, considered to be, it has several functions. Um, But in our case, what is relevant is that it's a happy hormone, a happiness hormone. It uh, promotes bond, development of bond, between a human or animal or between humans. Like every time we hug, every time uh, we touch uh, each other in an affectionate way, um, oxytocin is being produced and it contributes to development of closeness. And uh, with animals is that when we stroke them, when we are, you know, uh, develop eye contact, uh, it all um, uh, contributes to this creation of this connection, of this special connection. And so with time, uh, just like uh, in relationship between humans, uh, animals also learn, uh, they read cues much better than us. Because, uh, for example, we are more oriented, like sight-oriented. But uh, dogs, for example, they have more developed uh, senses like... um, smell, they can hear better, and they also can notice movements. And so uh, with time, they can predict on a simple level. They can predict what the owner is feeling, what the owner is going to do. And uh, as the research of uh, uh, Rupert Sheldrake showed, they can even uh, have telepathy abilities from a distance. When uh, uh, dogs, for example, know when their uh, owners come home, and it's not like it happens on a regular, you know, routine times. They uh, they know when the owner feels uh, to go to a walk or if something happened. Like there are many cases when uh, animals know how to save uh, the owner from danger. Mm. And uh, even cats, but it, but it's mainly in dogs because dogs are social animals. They are pack um, animals. And so uh, there are many theories on this topic. Some say that they develop like a hierarchy-based uh, uh, structure, like a bond with, with the owner. But some say, uh, like Temple Grandin, uh, she is more uh, of an opinion that uh, owners are more like parents to a pet. And so uh, there is this uh, also connection like, well, I don't want to anthropomize, uh, you know, like this connection that uh, it's more like children or parents, but they do look up uh, to the owners as parents, uh, especially when there is enough research 
that has been done in this area that dogs uh, have um, intelligence of a three years old uh, child, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I know. Um, I know somebody who actually has uh, a dog, and she put it through a service training program. Uh, where they actually go around to places like uh, old age homes and things like that, where where you know the the residents are maybe a bit lonely and uh, um, or maybe depressed about something, and uh, she so this dog was actually trained to go and just kind of be there with them and hang out and be petted and maybe play with them a little bit or something. And apparently, it it like you know it was the kind of thing that these uh, these residents were looking forward to uh, over the course of the week. Like, oh, the dog's name was Julia, so they're like, oh, when's Julia coming? When's Julia coming? So I think I think it really does have a lot of value. Like. It makes a lot of sense that the that that both anim, that both humans and uh, the dogs kind of produce oxytocin, which is sometimes called the cuddle hormone. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the warm, warm, fuzzy hormone. So yeah, I, you know, dogs clearly um, react when they're being petted. They love to be petted. So I guess it uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, touch is very important mm. in this case. And I know a person who who um, has a dog, a therapy dog. And they go around even in, to youth uh, prisons and um, and also hospitals. And it's really uh, like uh, the way she describes it, it's really special to see how a person who uh, clearly has um, a sociopathic or antisocial tendencies and when they uh, spend time with the animal, uh, it really helps. It creates something. It, it It's it does something better to the psyche to be around animals. They have some sort of more natural and calming effect um, on them, uh, on around them. But it's of, but of course those are uh, special therapy dogs. They go through a very strict uh, selection process. Mm. Uh, they should be themselves mm. uh, well behaved mm-hmm. and uh, trained, and uh, not to have any um, um, how to say it. Uh, Aggressive tendencies, or you know, like unstable. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so they already produce this kind of calming um, energy. They are like a like a sort of natural calming agent. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like taking chamomile. Like what? Like chamomile. Yeah. Yes. Like a, hang like, out with your dog. <laughs> and your <laughs> yeah. Something like this. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, I've been to a bunch of nursing homes or old age homes. They don't have dogs there, but a lot of them have, like, couples that live at the nursing home, and the cats will roam around. I don't know if they uh, they roam around and get petted as much as a dog would, but it's like mm-hmm. they have a couple of cat mascots. And there was also this article that I read once about um, this cat that was kept at a nursing home, and the cat was able to tell when a person was going to die and they go mm. and hang out in that patient's room and all the staff would know that that person would pass away soon, either that day or soon after. So Amazing. I guess that's another wow. aspect to pet psychicness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, actually, regarding yeah. this... Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you, maybe that's what you were going to tell because I read a story where dogs were able to sneak cancer, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well and, that's that's another yeah that's another yeah. aspect. That's um, I, I just wanted to mention first about cats, uh, but, but then I but but then I'll talk about the uh, dog sniffing ability. 
uh, cats is that I read not long ago about uh, specific breeds that um, actually have healing properties. Like, for example, um, well, I don't know, maybe it's an urban legend, uh, but, but, you know, like owners, actually, owners of cats attest to this certain ability. Like, for example, if you, if something is hurting, many times, uh, many owners say that a cat will lay down on this specific uh, area um, and will try to heal it. They think maybe it will heat or something, but they can feel the pain. And so there are specific breeds, like, uh, for example, a blue uh, Russian cat uh, say that it can uh, release a meteorism. Uh, it's it's um, uh, flatness. Flat. Oh, not flatness, flatness. Oh, flatulence. Flatulence, oh, okay. yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, not in a real, like, you know. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> but, you know, it has some sort of, you know, healing effect. Yeah, and uh, CMEs cats, apparently, uh, if you've broken your leg uh, or you have some sort of other orthopedic uh, surgery, uh, they are experts in healing bones. Wow. So I don't know where it comes from, but but apparently this is how uh, this is how it goes. And uh, as for other you know ancient ideas about uh, well, it has more to do with homeopathy, like cure, uh, like 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 cures, like Mm -hmm. where there is a saying, uh, a hair's dog, uh, dog's uh, dog's hair, like uh, hair of of a dog, Mm -hmm. yes. And uh, and so if a dog beats you, you should take a hair of this dog and put in a wound. Put it in the wound. <laughs> put it in the wound. Yeah, it's it's a strange one because it sounds uh, you know like um, like uh, unsanitary. Yeah. But but apparently people did it, so I don't know. Hmm. Uh, as for dogs sniffing cancer. Well, this is actually an interesting. It's a very interesting idea and. Um, my thoughts on this topic that maybe it has to do with the uh, germ uh, theory of uh, mm. origin origin of cancer mm. that may if it if it's caused by parasites or viruses or bacteria mm. uh, like mm-hmm. for example um, bacteria byproducts of bacteria like toxins. Mm. They all have a specific smell or fungi, for example. Like, for example, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, some dogs have this uh, dog smell, mm-hmm. you know, like like stinky mm-hmm. dog smell. Yeah. And when you smell it, it's, it's like more like, you know, like a wet dog. Wet dog, yeah. Yeah, wet dog. Mm-hmm. So this is often because um, this is, the, the reason for it is that often uh, dogs are being in, um, infested uh, with uh, fungi. Candida, particularly. Mm. This is the smell they produce. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, expert veterinarians often can uh, diagnose Mm. uh, which bacteria or fungi, on the skin especially, they, uh, you know, like I have a veterinarian uh, doctor that I often go to to the clinic and see how he practices, and he often sniffs the animal. Mm. And so it looks strange. Mm. But he says that with practice, you can actually recognize yeah. if it's a bacteria, if it's a fungi, 
Oh, they actually sometimes, you know, like he actually sometimes even smells the butt. Mm. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, uh, and he says it's it's very logical and it's not an uh, outrageous idea because uh, each bacteria produces a byproduct toxins that have specific smell. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible. I don't know why. But my my own theory is that uh, dogs are able to sniff cancer if this cancer, because they have such a developed smell, sense of smell, that it's possible that it, they can actually smell mm-hmm. those toxins. Yeah. Well, even I've even mm-hmm. noticed um, just from working in uh, um, a health food store that um, I, I've noticed like there's a certain smell that some people give off. And I've never really been able to track down like specifically what it is, but it's this weird kind of, it's, it is almost kind of like wet dog, but it's kind of like a, it's almost got a, like a metallic mm-hmm. kind of um, quality to mm-hmm. it. And I've, I've often thought this must correlate with a specific condition. Like, I don't know yeah. what it is and I, I don't know what the, yeah. um, the, the cause of it might be, but I've, I've thought to myself, like the fact that there are certain people who give off this very specific smell, um, it's got, it's gotta be yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah so I also I have some similar experience like when I first see a patient, you know, and I don't have access to his or her medical history, also he mm-hmm. definitely has kidney failure. You know, mm-hmm. he's not detoxifying, you know, the um, urea properly. I can smell it from here. And mm-hmm. then I ask about it and they say, we don't know. But then when I have the medical history, yes, here it is. Because hmm. after a time, when you see so many people with so many conditions, you can smell stuff. It's like, it becomes mm-hmm. interesting. Like, wow. Kidney failure, diabetes, yes, those are particularly, you know, you have a particular smell. Hmm. So I wonder if dogs have like a ultra sensitive. <laughs> it's really remarkable, yeah, as, you know. Well, that, that brings me to my next question because we were having a very highbrow conversation about dogs' anal glands and why <laughs> dogs might sniff each other's butts. But we have another SOT editor who is a groomer, and she says that every once in a while dogs' anal glands get backed up and they have to be expelled. Mm-hmm. I was wondering yeah. what the mechanism was behind that, and what does that have to do with dogs smelling each other's butts? <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, I don't know. Like, well, okay, that's again like a, like a speculation. Well, dogs, a dog sniffing each other's butt, it's like a, um, more like extended hello. You know, it's like, uh, no, really, it's like when they sniff, uh, for example, a... Um, uh, trees and everything it's like reading newspaper or maybe even checking uh, statuses on facebook you know stuff like <laughs> this uh, this is it but uh, but uh, dogs sniffing each other because they... yeah the dogs dog sniffing each other it's like um, you see because uh, for example for dogs if they look each other in the eye they're staring it's a sign of aggression Mm. And so they do sniff each other uh, on the nose a bit and then around the skin, uh, you know, around the body, but then on the butt because it's more like uh, I'm okay. We we are okay. We are we we are more on the level like, uh, you know, like aggressive dog want, if you'll notice the behavior of dogs, um, 
if they're in aggressive posture, they certainly won't allow the other to sniff the butt. This is more like, uh, you know, hello, and how are you doing, and everything is okay today, and, and stuff like this. <laughs> it's, it's like it's small like, talk for dogs. Yes. They're, uh, checking, they're checking their butt book account. As for expressing glands, um, well, uh, in some dogs it is necessary. You need to do it from time to time. But from what I read and heard that um, uh, the um, frequency of the backup of the uh, and the, uh, the need to express them is basically closely related to nutrition. Mm-hmm. It's accumulation of mm-hmm. all kinds of... Uh, it's, it's, it's a sort of like accumulation of... Um, you know all kinds of uh, like waste. Yeah, well, it's not like waste. Yeah, it's it's more like uh, a sweating glands and, mm. and and stuff like this. And so, uh, the more toxins the dog has, um, the uh, then there is um, the more need to express them, and sometimes they even get infected. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, and blocked, and there is a need uh, to unblock them. And so it is all uh, like in in natural state. Um, you don't need to even do it if the dog from the beginning was uh, fed with a species appropriate diet, raw diet, and if the upkeep is okay, is in everything is okay psychologically as well. Then uh, if you don't start it, uh, you don't need to continue doing it. Basically, some dogs they don't need to. Do, some dogs don't need it at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well cats sometimes express their own. Uh, they're like they they do they express their own anal glands. Do they not? Uh, for some reason. You mean like uh, skidding on a on a carpet? Well, not necessarily. This is that. parasites. Yeah. This is, uh, this is more has to do with the uh, parasites. No, but don't don't. Um, I mean, it, I don't think it's like a spray. Well, like yeah, the spraying, they're marking their territory. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, this is more marking. Even the, even females can do that. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's the same as the, they uh, they mark their territory. They you know like stay away. Mm. This is mine. Okay. Well, I have a little um, uh, experience with what Tiffany brought up. Um, with the do- with our dog here um and kind of why the topic came up um she had a really bad rash on the back of her tail and she kept chewing at it and biting at it and seemed inflamed and there was no fleas or anything but it was like the skin was coming off and it was sore mm. and um we had our thought editor give her a bath and do the anal gland cleaning and i will say um in a day, the rash and everything went away. And kind of pointing to what you were talking about, Zoya, with the nutrition, prior to that, she was on dry food. And I think there was something to, to what you're saying. And, and I just wanted to share that it it seemed to have relieved the symptom that this dog was suffering from. And it, it literally went away the next day. Mm-hmm. The, the, the skin healed up and she stopped constantly scratching the rear. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, because toxins uh, were coming out and uh, irritating the skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, I'd just like to uh, take a, a quick opportunity to give out our number. Um, if anybody has any questions about pet health or their specific pet, uh, you can call us at 718-508-9499. 
um, or you can log on to Blog Talk Radio and leave your question in the chat area on the uh, on the page of the show just to let people know that that's available. Um, while we were kind of talking about you know the, the anal glands in that whole <laughs> area, I have a question <laughs> that um, I'm curious about, and I don't know, like I've I've never seen very much about this in just kind of looking around online. Uh, but anybody who has a dog and a cat might have had the same experience. My dog loves cat poop. She loves to eat <laughs> cat poop. Yeah. And I don't know, is that a, is that a normal yeah. thing? Like, do you, Zoya, are you aware of where that comes from? Is it like, because obviously I have my, my own human programs where I'm like, that's poop. I don't want to put that in my mouth. But, you know, <laughs> obviously, obviously the animal kingdom is, is completely different. And so does it taste good to them or is there some kind of nutrient? Maybe they're trying to supplement. Uh, <laughs> Well, you see, um, as with butt sniffing, it's another big mystery. Uh, why? But there are also like several, um, like there are several theories. Well, first of all, yes, um, often dogs, um, like uh, they will eat their poop or other uh, for nutritional reasons if their diet is uh, lacking. Mm. Uh, this is uh, quite possible. Another one is behavioral, uh, because some dogs just do that. This is what they do. This is the big mystery. Um, and it's, uh, and uh, yeah, it can be, and in some cases, another theory is that it's therapeutical. Maybe they can sniff something out that uh, they need, and uh, and yeah. You know, like there is apparently there is also sure. coffee. Even do you know, like the 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 most expensive coffee in the world? Mm. It's uh, how it's called. I don't know. I, I just call it monkey poop coffee. Yeah, there is like one <laughs> monkey that eats eats those beans, and then uh, basically they go the other side. Yeah. And then it's being collected, and then the most expensive and most aromatic uh, coffee is being made. <laughs> and so maybe it's the same. You know, it's a delicacy. Because you know, dogs. Uh, if, 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 as you know, do, uh, like dogs and even cats, they like uh, really gross and really stinky things. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I, sure. I had a cat that loved the smell of sewer. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, so, so, so. Yeah, that's that's the. Mm-hmm. Uh, what for us is stinky for them. It's it's just amazing. It's it's a, sure. a Chanel five. <laughs> <laughs> We so yeah, you know the only problem. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I uh, I, I just wanted to comment. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just wanted to comment that the only problem that can be with that beside the gross factor is that um, there are there can be parasites in poop. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's possible, sure. and while uh, it's it's and while it's not transmissible between uh, maybe cat and dog, uh, but then you know like dogs have a quite an acidic stomach, so it's possible that that it could be killed there. But but this is one factor that you you that should be considered, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. There's a. Uh... Uh, a comment in our chat room here, one of the chatters said that dogs uh, do not only eat cat poop, but also cow, deer, horse, etc. 
Um, <laughs> and I, I see what you're saying about it being a, uh, a behavioral thing, too, because I have a friend whose dog will eat other dogs' poop. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. even his own sometimes. He's like a circulation kind of machine. It's a self-contained environment. But... Um, <laughs> But mine, mine doesn't do that. But you know, she does eat uh, cat poop, and I. Um, so it must just be kind of a unique thing to the dog, or depending on what they need or what they like. And I see what you're saying that it's kind of a mystery. Do you feed your cat and dog differently? Um, well, yes, they have uh, they have the same brand of food. Uh, feed them a, a grain-free uh, food, um, but one is formulated for cats and one is for dogs, and. Um, I actually did the raw meat diet for both of them uh, for some time, but then after a little while it got to be too expensive, um, and it switched. We switched back to the other type, uh, which is not a low quality food. It's it's supposedly very you know high quality. Um, but now that I'm I'm in a situation now where I think that we're going to be able to switch back to the raw meat diet, so we've been kind of planning on on phasing it into that. Well, so who knows? Maybe it's a snack. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Well, while we're on the subject of uh, animals eating their own poop, um, another highbrow show for the health and wellness show here. Um, <laughs> I, I was surprised when uh, at one point um, um, we, we I, I ended up getting guinea pigs. And um, I was very surprised to find out that they actually will kind of bend down and kind of eat their own poop um, because everything they they have everything go through their digestive tract twice, because I guess the first time they don't end up extracting everything that they need, so they kind of have to take it in again um, in order to to get all the stuff that they missed the first time. Um, so I was pretty surprised and a little bit grossed out to to find that out. It's kind of like cows regurgitating their food and then eating it again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a pickle kind of one. <laughs> yes. And cow and, and dogs eating cow um, uh, poop can also have to do with therapeutical, you know, effects because they do like uh, recognize something there. Like the cows have a different digestion and uh, eat differently, so maybe they need something. Well, yeah. Doug, since you brought up the the guinea pig, I wanted to like uh, maybe we can switch off of uh, dogs for the moment. So yeah, it's. Uh, to my knowledge, you have a uh, a rat, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what do you find is the uh, are the general kind of differences in in taking care of a rat? Um, like I've I've had some friends who have had rats in the past, and they express that they're very uh, intelligent and loving creatures, and maybe there's this kind of a stigma around rats um, that doesn't need to be there. Um, you know, or at least having rats as pets. Um, what, what has been your experience in caring for a rat? Do they have, um, you know, a, a personality that you can identify? Uh, do they snuggle, those kinds of things? Yeah, actually, yeah. I think that my pet rat is a good example when nurture uh, and also proper nutrition uh, do the trick. Uh, because uh, when you give enough affection to the animal, and, uh, well, first of all, I want to start with a diet. Like, usually, you know, like you go to the store and you buy the bag full of all kinds of uh, carbohydrate goodies, uh, you know, and seeds and everything, and you give to uh, to a pet rat. 
and they usually live between two and three years. And so I decided uh, to make an experiment with my pet rat. Uh, I heard that, you know, like there is this uh, known thing about the mouse, uh, you know, the mice and rats that they like cheese, they like stuff like this, right? Well, actually, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, who try to catch uh, rats, they put in a trap, uh, they say that um, more rats come for bacon than for cheese. <laughs> yes. So knowing that, I decided to make an experiment, and I was um, I'm feeding my rat with uh, uh, fat, with salo. Salo is a salted pork, but also it's 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 like bacon, sort of bacon. And uh, first of all, my rat loves it, hmm. and uh, it makes him really healthy. Like uh, for example, he's two and a half years old, hmm. and his uh, sister already died, and uh, she was in a very poor condition. Mm -hmm. And everyone that I know, uh, and also those that brought their pets to to the clinic, uh, their pets were really in a poor condition. Their skin was was bleak, and uh, my pet, his skin and the fur is shiny, and everything is okay. And um, I usually don't give, like... um, he gets a high variety of uh, products. He gets uh, also not. Uh, he gets um, more like liquid cheese. How do you say it? cream cheese? Cream cheese. Yeah, yeah. like cream cheese, uh, fat, mm. uh, vegetables, but nothing. Uh, everything is natural, and uh, not much carbohydrates. Mm. And uh, it keeps him agile. He's very sociable. Well, he's very sociable to me, um, and uh, like I live in the dormitories and to my roommate. But uh, we did discover another tendency of his that he's also a guard rat. Hmm. Because when uh, <laughs> strangers, yes, he's a guard rat. Because when strangers come in um, and try to pet him, he runs, he, ra- he runs immediately and tries to attack. Oh. So, yeah, wow. he's very territorial. <laughs> He is he is he is very territorial, but uh, beside that, he's a sweetie. He's very cute, and he's intelligent. Well, I made a mistake uh, because I didn't try to teach him any tricks. Uh, you know, because I I didn't have time, and I just like to pet him. But um, everyone who sees how he behaves with me and how relaxed he is and docile. Uh, say that it's a, an, a it's not typical, you know, like behavior for a rat. Mm. But I say that it is typical. It just depends on the surroundings, how they're being treated, mm. and uh, also probably the diet. Yeah. Because he's not, uh, even if his temperament is more nervous, uh, he's not, uh, you know, like it seems like he lives a good life mm. in general. And what you're saying is essentially you have them on the ketogenic diet. Yes. Uh, yeah. The keto rat. Cool. Now that it works on rats. Yeah, and and everyone told me, you know, like fat for rats, like everywhere on the sites, you know, like every other site you read and and you say and they say like fat is bad, liver and stuff like this. But yeah, I do make sure to give him milk thistle every day, a capsule of milk thistle. A capsule. Uh, well, it's it's not it's a gel it's a gel <laughs> capsule with oil of milk thistle, oh, okay. and he loves it. You know, like uh, you know, like he sees it as a treat. Yeah. 
so mm-hmm. so it's all good yeah amazing so, uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's a it's an experiment that is working because yeah wow <laughs> i have a question zoya do the cat <laughs> and the rat are they friends well you can see countless videos on youtube that yes they can be mm-hmm. it's uh, i think that it might work best for a cat that is indoor and well uh, fed. Uh, because uh, the moment you have a cat that um, isn't fed enough and so the instinct is very strong and, uh, you know, you can't go against nature. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that uh, if they will develop a strong, you know, enough strong bond, maybe if the cat will go hungry, nothing will happen. Uh, but then, you know, we see there are millions of videos on YouTube of all kinds of strange friendships. So, mm-hmm. yeah, everything is possible. Of course. Like, you know, like it's only us humans that we can, uh, you know, connect properly. But uh, but yeah, it it all depends on the temperament because this is the um, this is the uh, special things about animals that they are uh, they are not similar to humans, but in some cases they are exhibiting behaviors that we all humans can take example of. You know, yeah. from, we can learn from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay, so this is another topic that I wanted to mention mm. uh, that is actually similar to us. Uh, and has connection to the psychology of animals and humans both. And it has to do with the topic of overeating. For example, I read read a research not long ago that just like humans, uh, pets tend to overeat um, because of, due to psychological reasons. If, uh, If they are depressed, if something is wrong, they have no, not enough stimulation, if uh, not enough play, not enough uh, active or stimulating environment, interesting environment around them, then they see nothing more interesting than eating. So, yeah, things mm. can happen also. Mm. The same. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so, so uh, basically... Hmm? Yeah? Oh, go ahead, sir. No, no, you... Please, okay. <laughs> I guess I had a question of uh, uh, where you are um, uh, and your experience with with pets. Um, I had a friend uh, for some time a number of years ago who was from uh, Serbia, and Mm -hmm. uh, she said in her area that that dogs were not considered indoor pets uh, and that not 100% across the board, but that a lot of people considered dogs to be just like you know, pigs or cows or goats, where it would be like, mm. why would you bring that thing in the house? And I wondered mm-hmm. uh, if you have had that experience, too, where you are. Um, is there a similar opinion? Um, you know, or is it, uh, is it different? Is it changing? Well, uh, you know, like, for example, um, yes, there are indoor dogs. People keep dogs. Um, it's not a problem. It's all, uh, you know, like it's a... Uh, it's not something like uh, in Serbia, maybe, uh, but there is a thinking that, for example, if you have a big yard or you live in a village, then uh, a dog often is being kept outside. Mm. 
but they do bring them in if, uh, for example, it's cold because temperatures can go uh, up to minus 25. Mm. So they do, sure. uh, you know, but more and more people, uh, they do see uh, dogs as companions, as part of the family, and you can see it, uh, by the way, um, people come to the clinic and they worry about their animals. So, yeah, like there is, well, this is uh, the unfortunate culture. I think it's present everywhere of uh, breeders of specific breed of dogs, mm-hmm. like more expensive, that uh, like mats are being kept and wait for warm homes uh, in shelter. And people prefer to buy, uh, like pay a thousand uh, dollars for uh, for a special breed, for example. This this is prevalent in uh, in Belarus, for example. Uh, this is the unfortunate reality uh, that people uh, like you know like to to not only for status, but they think that specific breeds uh, serve their purposes. But then, for example, because of it, like they buy German Shepherd and keep it at home, while uh, German Shepherds, for example, are service dogs. And uh, there is this unfortunate situation that happens when a German Shepherd is kept in a, in an apartment without a yard or uh, without proper stimulation or training, and uh, they can develop uh, mental disorders mm. as a result. They can be depressed. Uh, mm. A couple, uh, and also especially it being said with the dry food, and. Uh, so yeah, this this is one of the main problems because people take a dog that looks beautiful to them, but they don't provide the dog with the proper uh, conditions, upkeep that they need. Because like German shepherds do need like a job. They are service dogs, so they they thrive in a condition where they have something to do. This is how they are. So uh, many people take uh, dogs without considering. Uh, these kind of aspects. Uh, so yeah, this, this, but this is another problem. Yeah. I had a similar experience with with my dog. She's uh, three quarters golden retriever and one quarter Rottweiler. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was almost ten years ago now that I moved from. I was staying uh, temporarily on a uh, on a farm uh, with a family member uh, when I had moved back to where I am now. Um, and I had my dog as a puppy, and she would just go out and run. You know, there was like um, uh, 40 acres, a little more than 40 acres there, and she could just go and run as much as she wanted, and she would stay away from the road, and then she would come back in the evening. Um, And then when I got a place in town, now it's still a rural town, so it's a small town, um, so it's not like a city or anything like that, but when we moved into town, uh, she started exhibiting you know, more kind of mental, emotional issues. And uh, she seems to have acclimated now, you know, and we try to keep her active and things like that. But I think that for a time there, she kind of went crazy going from that one environment to the other. Um, And she would take off, you know, for hours at a time. Uh, In fact, one time she was gone for two weeks, and I thought that she was, you know, just gone. I, I I I was ready for her to just be gone at that point. Um, But then a friend of mine found her in a town that's about uh, eight miles away. So she had been wandering for weeks. Um, but yeah, I, you know, of course, I feel uh, 
bad about that, but, it, you know, just objectively looking at the at the situation, I think we went from this wide-open environment where she could run and have freedom uh, to moving into a house and having a, a small yard. Uh, mm-hmm. She kind of went crazy after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they become no more neurotic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 so it's very important before you uh, choose on a pet, uh, you should uh, not only consider you know nutrition and upkeep, but do consider uh, the breed and the predisposition of uh, also of the breed and their character. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what read read up on a breed, everything that you can and decide if uh, if this specific animal is for you because some some uh, dogs are family dogs like labradors you know but some dogs are service dogs and so you you need to provide your dog with the proper job mm. stimulation yeah it's That's funny cool. because i've i've met a few german shepherds and pretty much everyone i've met has been had some kind of like social anxiety type mm-hmm. situation and i think if the owners had maybe known that and considered that they might have chosen a, a different dog because yeah I've, I've met a, i can think of one in particular it was a very very anxious dog and mm-hmm. i imagine you know if it had, had a, a job to do it probably would have been fine yeah That's it focuses them mm-hmm. and with breeds like this it's very important to start training already like when they are still puppies six months old mm-hmm. even younger mm-hmm. like even for four months they just and and not to you know like train them strictly, but to turn everything into a play, mm. to make it playful. Mm-hmm. So because this is how they learn best. They are like children, so they learn best by playing. But uh, in our situation, in our world today, when everyone is uh, hurrying up and uh, you know like checking their, uh, like basically sticking their nose into their phones, mm. you know there is no room mm-hmm. for. Uh, taking a dog for at least two hours a day mm. in a forest or in a park, and not just walking, but playing mm. and uh, and doing something, training little by little, you know, like uh, like sit, stand, and and every time alternating between uh, uh, between commands, mm. making it uh, all of it into a play. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's 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 great for a puppy because one of the things that uh, important to remember. That it's like a child that uh, puppies need limits. They like limits. They actually uh, look for them. Mm. If you give puppy a, a freedom and wait, and you wait until it's like one year old uh, already, like adolescence dog, and then it's more it's harder to teach because they learn that they can do whatever mm. uh, they want, mm. and so uh, they do need. Uh, it, it's not like limiting the dog. Actually, they do need it, especially service mm. breed dogs. Yeah. I had a, a friend actually who got, um, this was back in high school, and he, he just really liked Dalmatians and was really, you know, he just liked the look of them. Mm-hmm. And he didn't mm-hmm. do his proper research or anything like that. And this was basically a dog that they, you know, were, was a home alone all day. And, you know, so the dog would, of course, you know, Dalmatians need a lot of, um, of exercise and energy mm-hmm. expenditure and stuff. So, of course, every time they left the house, it would just tear the place apart because mm-hmm. it was just kind of crazy. So, of course, then their solution to that was to kind of put it into like a pen, like a cage mm-hmm. all day and stuff. And that just made it worse. So it mm-hmm. was the worst behaved dog I've ever seen in my life because, you know, basically every time they were interacting with it, it was so 
attention starved and needed so much energy to burn off that it just it it, it could it wouldn't listen to them at all. It would just go crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just another mm-hmm. example of when how you need need to really look into um, what what the characteristics of the breed are and whether you can provide that. Yeah, you know, like even Yorkshire Terriers. You know, like toy breeds, mm-hmm. and you think that they are like, oh, just, you know, keep them in a pocket, mm. you know, stuff like this. But they are, because they're terriers, mm. they are excellent for all kinds of tricks mm. to teach them. And they also really like this kind of attention and focus. Mm. So, yeah, every dog, it's, it's, yeah. they, they just look up for, for their human mm. and they, they need interaction. It makes a happy dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask what your uh, what your experience or your opinion is on the on the general welfare of uh, of pets these days. You know, maybe not just dogs, but also uh, cats, rodents, birds, that kind of thing. Um, what in uh, there was something about dogs that made me think of this uh, that I remembered reading when I was researching about the raw food diet. Um, that now I can't remember his name, but there was a veterinarian from Australia who had originally tried to promote, you know, the idea of the raw food diet for dogs and getting them off of the dry food uh, and had pointed out that before the advent of this commercially produced dry food, uh, the dogs would regularly live to be 20, even almost 30 years old. Um, mm-hmm. And that now, now their lifespan has been cut, you know, dramatically to the point where, you know, if a dog is 10, it's it's old. At that point, it's an mm-hmm. old dog. Um, and so I wondered if you had any experience with that um, and just any general knowledge of the, you know, do you see that the lifespan of, of pets has decreased? Um, I mean, I think we can logically deduce that from the effect that the dry food has, but I was wondering what your, your own opinion is on that. Yeah, um, yeah. yes. Well, uh, there are several things to mention about that. Uh, you see, each uh, animal, uh, especially uh, not mutts or simple cats, street cats, but uh, breeds, for example, in dogs or cats, they all have, uh, if you will look up a veterinary manual, uh, they have pages and pages of uh, breed predispositions. It means that... Uh, this or this breed is predisposed to all kinds of disorders, uh, diseases, and uh, it seems like, uh, you know, like it's, this, this is, and they calculate the chances of specific breed developing a specific disorder. And so the thing uh, to remember about this is that uh, not a predisposition doesn't mean that the disorder is going to develop. It depends. It's like uh, origins of cancer. You know, it depends on many factors, uh, outside and inside. And so uh, it largely, it seems like it largely uh, depends on nutrition simply because um, nutrition leads or prevents development of inflammation. And so the more inflamed the body the more uh, in in less optimal condition a animal's body is, there are more chances that they gradually will develop maybe slow-going chronic infection or inflammation will go on in the background that that will gradually jeopardize a pet's health. Uh, 
Now, one thing to remember that both cats and dogs are very, very, very sturdy and adaptable animals. Uh, it will take quite a while for symptoms, for over symptoms, unless it's a virus or some infection, serious infection, uh, to, for symptoms to appear. For example, cats, they are predators. They are pure carnivores. And so it's, uh, for cats as predators, it's natural to conceal their symptoms. And uh, until uh, often you won't be able to tell if something wrong with a cat, uh, especially if it's in pain, unless it's already something that the cat can't bear. Mm. And so overt symptoms start to appear. And sometimes often it's already when the disease progressed quite a while. Or, for example, with dogs, we all know that large breeds uh, like a Labrador or German Shepherd are predisposed to uh, hip dysplasia. And, uh, you know, it's not like 100%. Not not all of them develop it. And so what's, what's, is it like a Russian roulette? Like some, some of them get it and some of them not? Well, it depends on many factors. Probably maybe the animal had better environment and the immune system was stronger. And so with time, uh, it you know, like it, it didn't develop into the hip dysplasia or other genetic um, disorders. Like, for example, Shelties have a high chance of developing um, epilepsy, but not all of them get it. And so there are all kinds of uh, things like this that accumulation of factors can lead to a specific critical point, a point of no return, where things start like 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 a snowball a cascade of all kinds of things that the the inflammation increased uh, sufficiently in the body that it starts uh, starts affecting all kinds of systems and so it can lead either if some outside agent comes in into a jeopardized immune system it can lead to an acute development of a problem like a pancreatitis or, or some you know kidney disease on the liver but in general if for example nutrition of a pet is jeopardized gradually all their life with dry food uh, with improper diet or improper upkeep like for example we all know that when when we are depressed we uh, it it only makes our disease worse mm-hmm. it makes us you know like we have a higher chance of uh, contracting a disease, like getting sick. Like, for example, everyone getting cold around us, but if we are in a good mood, then uh, our immune system is somehow stronger. Mm-hmm. The same is with pets. Mm-hmm. It's it all interconnected to our environment, to where where our pets live. If, 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 so basically, you can see how, um, you know, like in in some clinics where I was, they do ask always, uh, they do ask uh, what the pet is and the condition that they're being kept. This is mainly the academy clinics. But I, for example, was an intern in the city clinic, and they usually don't ask for history, especially in the nutritional one. And I do see, uh, I, I saw an unusually high number of cats, except for emergency cases, like broken bones, like if they fell off the balcony and something like this, most of them were uh, with urinary obstruction problem. Mm. And we all know that it comes from dry food. 
And so what they do, they treat the immediate problem, okay? And then, uh, and then they propose the owner's specialized dry food, huh. uh, mm-hmm. which is more expensive, and they say that it's uh, more uh, better, like mm-hmm. uh, high, uh, high produce, you know, like high quality, high quality. Uh, high quality, and it specializes to balance the pH uh, in, in cat's body that, that basically dry food, you know, messes with the internal pH. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is that, for example, not long ago, uh, I read an article that apparently in Hill's prescription diet, there is supposed to be like a super, super uh, good and specialized diet, dry food for pets. They have aflatoxins, oh. uh, uh, which mm. is a cancerogenic mm. metabolite of Aspergillus. It's a fungi, mm-hmm. which is very toxic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, you you put a cat or, who already have a jeopardized immune system, already have jeopardized liver and kidneys, uh, to put on such a diet, then it's like uh, well you know if it won't work and the cat will die or or they will have a urinary obstruction again they will say oh well the condition was worse you know like worse than we thought yeah so 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 yeah it's like a Russian roulette. And it's a it's a money business. It's a money making business. I'm sure driveway has a lot of GMOs as well. Or do they recycle all the corn and all those? Yes, soy? because they use corn. Even if those high uh, specialized and, uh, and and expensive dry foods, they all use corn. Some brands remove the corn, but still, dry food is not good for pet, for pets at all. Mm. It's uh, it's not optimal. Well, maybe we could talk about what is optimal. Well, uh, we need to consider each pet individually. Uh, like, for, no. well, we'll take cats and dogs. Uh, cats are pure carnivores. It means that they need uh, up to 95% of pure protein, animal protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the 5%, you know, like it's like uh, if, they, if they need some, some carbohydrates, they can go outside and... Uh, you know, eat some grass. <laughs> yeah. That's what they do often. Um, so we just need to think, uh, the most important thing is to think what they would do if they were living in nature. Uh, cats catch birds, mice, uh, rats. And uh, if you would notice uh, a cat eating uh, their prey, they would, you would notice that they eat everything, including the organs. This is where the moisture comes from, because naturally they don't drink that much much water. This is the main problem of the dry food because it's too uh, dehydrated. Mm. They don't get enough moisture, and while they naturally, uh, their natural tendency is not to drink enough because they usually naturally get it from from the internal organs. Mm. Uh, dogs are more like 70% carnivores. They can accept, like for example, in where I live, um, the people don't have that much much money to feed their dogs uh, only with meat. Mm. They do porridges, mm. all kinds of porridges. And, and they mix it with uh, cheap cuts of meat. Mm. And so this kind of, uh, this kind of stuff, uh, diet, is acceptable if you can't feed your dog with a full 
uh, raw diet. But not long ago, um, I read actually a diet that was proposed by a veterinarian uh, on, on our forum. And so this, uh, this veterinarian proposes something that is called biologically appropriate raw diet. No, biologically appropriate raw food. Raw food, yeah. yes. Barf. That... Yeah. Barf, yes, this is the <laughs> funny, funny name. <laughs> and so in this case, he is talking about uh, feeding, well, I don't know, like I should uh, say like exactly what he is. Uh, well, basically, uh, the main diet constitutes from uh, feeding the dogs uh, raw meat, organs, and bones and uh, some vegetables, like uh, 20%, uh, but usually less in the summer. Mm. So this this is supposed to be the basic, the staple diet. And uh, in some cases, like sardines and eggs can be added. Uh, or, for example, for extra fat, uh, butter can be added. Uh, like, for example, if you're preparing for yourself, then you can uh, give your dog like a, like a treat, mm. you know, butter. Mm. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> sometimes uh, they can get other stuff that we eat, like sauerkraut, because sauerkraut uh, is good for b- bacteria in mm-hmm. the stomach, in, in the intestinal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to mention about one uh, point, important point, that anti-raw food diet uh, uh, proponents say that they they are being afraid that if they will give raw food to their pets, uh, they will be infected with salmonella. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we just need this is this is for me this is like a ridiculous claim because uh, if if like for example we just earlier talked about poop, rotten meat, and other stinky stuff, hmm. and so do you really think that if you will give your dog a fresh raw meat? Salmonella is going to survive in this kind of acidic mm-hmm. stomach, you know. Like if the poop is going okay, like <laughs> so, yeah. so. So this is yeah, this is ridiculous, really. Like there, there is a need to be careful about uh, parasites. This is true, because uh, for example, there are some uh, uh, parasites uh, in the liver. Uh, like fasciola, hepatica, for example, that can be in a pig liver. And so, for example, if you if if you bought a liver or the higher chances, like for example, if you have your own pigs and you you went to a butcher and you took all the internal organs back with you, and you found uh, that the liver is infested with parasites. And never give your dog this mm. kind of liver because some people do mm. give it and say, well, they, they are actually not concerned. They think that the stomach can handle everything. Mm. So in this case, yes, because they are like um, um, they are like uh, well, I don't know how to say it in English properly, but they are just one chain in the development of this specific parasite, mm. like mm. intermediate. Uh, you know, like a station for the development of of the parasite. So better not to give 
these kind of internal organs that you can see that are infested with parasites. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you can give them. You should give them f- fresh produce. Yeah. So, uh, but for example, for cleaning teeth, both for cats and dogs. Like for example, the another thing that you can often see uh, in a clinic that dogs and cats that are on dry diet, they have really bad and filthy teeth mm-hmm. and smelly. Mm-hmm. They have smell from the mouth. This is, uh, yeah, uh, this is also prevalent. And uh, putting them on a raw diet uh, fixes the problem uh, simply because it can be also a sign of uh, bad uh, digestion but it can also be a sign of uh, kidney damage mm. um, or even liver damage because uh, damaged organs, they produce toxins. And toxins try to leave the body in every possible way, uh, not only through feces, but also through skin and also through a man- mouth. And so all those uh, toxins, uh, this is like a toxic residue on teeth. And uh, so if you want to keep your puppy healthy, well, uh, your dog healthy or cat, uh, first of all, keep, uh, feed them appropriately. But you can also from time to time give them uh, chicken throats huh. because the cartilage actually helps to clean the teeth. Uh, but there's also one thing to remember about it uh, that um, chickens, especially big complexes, big farms, uh, you know, like chickens that are being grown on farms, like uh, broilers, broiler chickens, yeah. Yeah. They're being, like, Mm -hmm. from the moment they are born, they're being fed, uh, you know, fed with antibiotics. Mm -hmm. They're full of antibiotics. And so many animals have allergic reaction Mm. to chicken. But Mm -hmm. it's not because of the chicken, but it's because of the antibiotics. And so if you do uh, going to give your pet uh, chicken necks or other, you know, chicken wings and stuff like this, make sure that it's uh, as uh, as natural as possible. Mm. Usually it's recommended to give your pet food that you would be able to eat. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's the, the important rule. They, they, they have the same physiology as us. Mm. And so, and the same... Uh, the same uh, toxin destruction system uh, as ours. Yeah, that's actually one thing that strikes me when uh, when you're just talking here is how many parallels there are actually between um, human health and pet health. Like how many different things? Like you were saying about you know the breed dispositions, predispositions, sorry, predispositions to certain diseases. Um, it's like the way uh, certain diseases will kind of run in families, and not everybody in the family gets it. But, you know, the ones who kind of have the specific environmental factors, the bad diet, that sort of thing, then they'll, you know, get the inflammation in their body. And that kind of leads to um, whatever kind of their weakest link is that what what kind of flares up. So I I know in some situations you probably don't necessarily know um, what your genetics kind of predisposes you to. But um, with with the breeds, it kind of is easier to to see these kinds of trends because it goes. I noticed with... um with dogs being the dog specifically being able to sniff out certain things um and Joey, you had mentioned some of these uh 
meats that might be tainted with antibiotics or, or viruses or bacteria or something like that. Um, there was a point uh, when I was doing the, the raw meat diet for our dog, uh, I had gone to the grocery store and they had beef liver there. Um, mm. it, it looked it looked kind of weird. It had some spots on it, and so I wasn't sure. Um, I picked it up anyway. I came home and cut it up and put it in the bowl, and she would not touch it for the life mm. of me. Like, even put ah. baking grease on it, and she wouldn't go for it. And so I wondered if maybe that... Um, you know, there was something in there. Maybe that was a diseased liver and she could tell and so she would need it because other things like raw chicken drumsticks uh, or even chicken liver or, you know, like a raw cut of uh, of beef, like regular beef and not an organ, uh, she'll just go for it and eat it, you know, within 20 seconds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, they can. Uh, and also... Also, uh, meat is often being treated with um, uh, for sanitary reasons with ammonia. Yeah. Yeah. So they can smell this this too. Mm. Yeah. Sure. So maybe wash the uh, the meat before, if it's possible. Sure. Do you think, in general, that it's better? I mean, I know that we've gone over, and it's clearly proven that dry food is not good for um, these animals. Uh, do you think it's okay then to – is it better to feed them a, a general cut of meat that just from the store that might be like a factory-farmed pig or cow? Um, is that still even better than dry food, even if the dry food is like labeled organic and all these things? Um, the reason I'm asking is because, uh, you know, when we switched back off of the Romney diet because it, it got – there was in a situation where it was just too expensive for a little while. Um, and so the, the dry food that I was getting says that it's made of, you know, it's grain-free and it's made of all these different um, proteins, even though it is dry. Um, it's made from, like, you know, bison and elk and things like that. Um, you know, is it still even better than to just feed them cheap meat than, than that kind of food? Well, uh, you know, if you know that it's, like, organic dry food, you mean? Like, you know, that it's mm-hmm. completely natural? Yeah. Well, maybe try to mix it. Mix it with the, sure. with the cuts of meat. Maybe if it's for cats, maybe try to, you know, soften it a bit with the, uh, with the broth. You know, like they, sure. they can... Like, actually, another thing to remember that, yeah, uh, broth is also very nutritional for them. And you can maybe mix it. They have enough calories there and nutrients uh, that is needed for them in a broth. So you you can give them soup from time to time that uh, can lessen the cost as well. Would a natural uh, canned food be better than a a natural dry food? Well, I read that it's better, Mm. especially for cats because it's moist. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they say that, uh, you know, that... Basically, you know, it's like for us humans. We not all of us have access to organic food. Mm. Not all of us can afford organic. And so, uh, this is how you, you know, you try your best. Mm. You do your best, basically. That's that's how how it works. It's it's not like you can, sure. you know, say to everyone, uh, feed them raw and give them good chunks of uh, meat. And uh, it's not everyone, as I said. In Belarus, not everyone can afford it, and so they take uh, and make porridges, 
Um, and in some cases, it's okay, you know, like. Well, I wanted to bring up, uh, speaking of food and affordability, um, if you listen to our other SOT Network shows, there's chatter about uh, economic collapse and being prepared. I just wanted to put it out for everybody, not just Zoya, like, uh, how are you guys preparing for your pets? Like, there might come a time where you won't have access to raw food for your cat or your dog, or you can't afford it because of an economic collapse. Um, is it possible to pre-can cat food or dog food? But that would, of course, make it from raw food into cooked food. Um, or like when the poo hits the fan, all bets are off and you just give your pet whatever you can give it. Well, I I think it's possible. Why not? It's the same. Like uh, in in you know in crisis situations, you you think well, yeah, we we think of our pets as part of our family, and so yeah. we, we all just need to hang on and survive together. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, the same as we think about ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. we we stockpile canned food for um for our cat. Um, you know, just it's, it's, it's kind of regular, um, canned food. I figure we don't necessarily have to do any canning ourselves specifically for the mm-hmm. cat because it's already, it's already canned. So yeah. we, we just keep a good amount, you know, watch for the sales and kind of stock mm-hmm. up and, and keep it on hand. Hopefully, you know, it won't come to that sort of thing. But, uh, the other thing is our cat, I, I've tried feeding it raw meat a couple of times and he, he doesn't really seem to have much of a taste for it. Yes, I'm like it's cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, how do you call it? Pemmican? Yeah, pemmican. pemmican. Mm-hmm. Well, they eat, they can see it as a treat. Pemmican is good too, yeah, mm. to dry the, the meat. And it also will be good uh, good for, for the teeth to clean them at the same time. I have a question, Zoya, about um, bones for larger dogs. So you have a rib dinner and... You give your dog the rib bones that are cooked. It's you know I've heard controversy that it's bad and that it's good, and I'm just wondering what your stance is on that. Is it okay to give larger breed dogs cooked bones? Uh, if it's chicken bones, no. Cooked, no. Uh, in the, don't give them at all because they crack and they can uh, stuck and they can puncture the esophagus and they can uh, no it's it's very dangerous if it's chicken bones no if it's large bones like uh, pork mm-hmm. uh, then uh, like a femur mm-hmm. then then it's okay mm-hmm. yeah but uh, something that they can uh, crack it and uh, if it can get stuck because like for example if it's a femur it's a large bone uh, they can uh, get busy sucking the uh, you know the uh, marrow marrow yes yeah. So they, this is okay, but okay. Uh, chicken bones only raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, are raw bones in general better than cooked bones? Raw bones in general, yeah, they are better because they they also you know they don't crack and they they they, they can actually chew it, mm. and so so they they get all of it. Mm. Yeah, so it's more mineral content. Just to your question, I think another thing might be, um, you know, talking to butchers um, Mm -hmm. 
like personally, I'm, I'm where I live. Whitetail deer season is coming up, and I'm looking forward to that because if I do get a chance to get a deer, the organs from that deer will feed my dog for quite a while. Um, mm. And the last time that I got one, you know, it lasted for many, many months. Um, the heart, the liver, um, all this, the, the internal organs, of course, except for the uh, the colon. Um, but uh, yeah. you know, where people where people aren't able to hunt per se, or they may they may not have the ability or the chance to, um, mm-hmm. they probably just go to a butcher and say, you know, do you have any organs that you're throwing away? You know, or do you have mm-hmm. any organs or extra fat? And then stockpile those things at least in the freezer for the time being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and tripe too. Yeah, tripe is yeah. very super nutritional for dogs. But uh, with tripe, you should be careful because some dogs, uh, it can cause uh, uh, indigestion. And so the general rule about, like, for example, if someone is listening to us and says, wow, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm off the dry food, my pet is off the dry food, I'm, uh, from now on I'm feeding raw, uh, you should remember that everything, everything should happen gradually. Just like for us, when we're changing our diet, and, for example, if you want to move off gluten, off sugar, off milk, and you, you go, go to move to a ketogenic diet, we all made it. We remember ourselves. We remember uh, through all kinds of hardships, hardships and difficulties mm-hmm. that we had to go through the headaches, the, 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 you know, the cravings and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically like putting the junkie, you know, off the, off the drug because there are so many additives, uh, addicting additives in dry food. So all of this should go gradually. Uh, you mix, you know, like not many cats, and especially cats, are, they, they habit animals. They, they, they have a hard, uh, uh, they, they have a hard difficulty basically to start eating something else, and they can go for days and play control games with you, you know, like mm-hmm. not, not to touch something that you put in the dish. Mm-hmm. And so uh, gradually, gradually to add something to see what they respond to. Maybe you can start with uh, with even cook, uh, with cooked meat mm-hmm. to to add gradually, like replacing only 20 percent, uh, leaving the dry food and replacing only 20 percent of it and adding something mm-hmm. because it can uh, lead to indigestion and diarrhea. And so this is something that should be avoided. And so, with time, they they will get used to it. Mm. Yeah, it, it's 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 a, a individual approach. You should you should know your animal, and you should uh, see what kind of behavior they they exhibit, and and go with it. Yeah, to it to it being an individual thing, I noticed um, with my cat uh, when I first switched him to raw food. Um, you know, this was. Not wise, I admit that, but I did a hard transition from yeah. the dry food to uh, raw chicken livers. But he ate it up like candy. He did no control <laughs> games or anything. Like he just he went right for it and had no problems with digestion or anything. Um, but the dog, on the other hand, uh, we switched at that time. Uh, I think I did a transition for like three days. But even with that. Um, you know, I started feeding her uh, raw chicken drumsticks, and she also loved them, but she had really bad diarrhea for, like, you know, a week and a half after that. Oh. So, you know, it depends on the, uh, certainly on the, on the animal and what their system is like. So that's yeah, a little bit. Yeah, 
I switched my cat from dry to raw, and he did play games. <laughs> so it took like, uh, it probably took maybe three weeks just slowly mixing it with the dry food just a little bit at a time, and then eventually he got to the point where he was all raw. Yeah. Well, you know, like with humans, uh, some pets, the healthy soul jeopardize that uh, putting them off the dry food uh, can actually worsen their condition also uh, because, uh, you know, like it's just like the same. It's, I'm repeating myself, just like with humans, uh, their, their body is going to excrete uh, a lot of toxins. Mm. And so uh, it should be kept in mind that uh, we need to assist the animal also by giving probiotics and uh, also seeing if, if, like sauerkraut also, yeah, adding, you know, to assist the, the animal to dealing with this new situation mm. because their uh, germ environment in, in, uh, in the intestines is, is already different. It's, mm. it's just the same physiology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so the same considerations as for us should be kept in mind when we are going to put our uh, pets off the dry food. I have a question about transitioning because we're currently going through that with our two dogs, taking them off the dry food and giving them raw. Um, do you recommend feeding them twice a day instead of once a day? Because, you know, with dry food, you just put the bowl out and they eat it. Um, and another thing I was, you know, kind of as you were mentioning with uh, humans, the amount of food, like, um, you know, you give them a big bowl of dog food and then you switch them to a raw food diet and, you know, half the amount, but the food is raw. So it's kind of just a concern I had and just a general question. Um, Do you have any advice on that? Uh, Yeah, well, there are, like, I don't know precise uh, measurements. There are calculators uh, online for this kind of stuff, but, uh, for example, Mm -hmm. in case of raw food, uh, they need to... Uh, to have a certain uh, percentage of their body weight. Mm. This is mm-hmm. how, they, I don't know if it's 1% or more. I, mm. I just really, do, sorry, but I do, don't remember. But there are considerations when uh, a dry food, they tell you on a box uh, that you put a cup or something, you know, like per weight of, of, of a pet. But in this case, you do need to consider, uh, first of all, the total weight of the animal. And mm-hmm. then the uh, calculate the total uh, percentage. I think it's like for smaller dogs, it's uh, 250 grams uh, a day, mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. this. And for for large breeds, it's uh, half a kilo mm-hmm. a day okay. of of meat. And then you you divided like for example, dogs red meat should constitute the most amount. Liver uh, mm-hmm. 20%. Well, you know, stuff like stuff like this. And so you take the total amount of the weight and then you calculate the percentage and divide by parts of food that you're going to give, the tonal organs, the red meat and, and, and everything. And so you cut it in pieces and divide it by two. Yeah, usually you should uh, feed, uh, feed them, uh, like if it's a hunting dogs, as far as I know, they feed them once a day. But if it's a usual uh, situation, you can feed them twice a day. But mm-hmm. always uh, don't never leave the food. They eat it, and you take the dish away. Mm-hmm. This is the thing because uh, if we are speaking about natural conditions, 
we need to remember that pets outside don't always have the dish outside. They just mm-hmm. get their food and that's it. And so there are no, like, you can give them snacks in between, mm-hmm. but not overdoing it. And this is uh, this is, should be like a discipline routine for them. And also one thing that I learned during one of my classes that uh, since there is a specific hierarchy and uh, relationship between, uh, it, it, it goes especially for dogs. Uh, between dog and the owner and the human, uh, don't give your dogs food off the table. Mm. This is one of the important things. Uh, dogs should receive food after you finish eating mm. because they see it as a sort of relationship who is who is the boss in the house. <laughs> yeah. Does that apply to cats too? Because I sometimes well, cats, cats they the think they are the boss. Not nothing can they convince them otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah. But yeah, cats. Cats also, unless they, uh, for example, with cats, they usually uh, don't overeat. This is the natural condition that they don't overeat. Mm-hmm. They eat whatever they need for this specific moment. If they do mm-hmm. overeat, it's a sign of a neurotic behavior of some sort of problem, mm-hmm. psychological problem. Mm-hmm. If they constantly try to eat. It can be also a sign of parasites, just mm-hmm. like with humans, that if you eat and you do gain weight, or it can be psychological, as I said before, that something is wrong with the environment. Uh, usually with cats, it's okay to uh, leave the dish if there are normal conditions, but, but, but yeah, you know, like take it away, mm-hmm. you know. But, but, but it, it's more for dogs that you need to take the dish away. Mm-hmm. Because they will eat and eat and eat, mm-hmm. especially Labradors. Mm-hmm. They will eat anything, even socks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, you know, like if you come to clinic and you see, you know, the problems of, of, of uh, like uh, with Labradors, it's a lot of times because they ate something that, that it's not food. Mm. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah. something to watch out for. I had a Cocker Spaniel at one point and he used to constantly, mm-hmm. like it was when I was a little kid, and he would always be eating toys and at one point he actually got a bowel obstruction and we had to put mm-hmm, it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cocker spaniels too eat pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, it's a, it it's something just to pay attention to your animal to learn their behavior, how 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 they basically operate and mm-hmm. on an everyday basis. Well it was funny when well, we yeah. first say, said the raw food to the the dog, it was a you know a s- smaller portion obviously than the dry food, and they both ate it in 1.5 seconds and looked at me like that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know another uh, trick that you can do, especially during summer. I don't know how it would work in winter, but during summer, uh, sometimes you can even freeze the food, and then if it's hot outside. It can be even a play for them to try to get the food. Mm. It's 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 oh, it's stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A great idea. There are there are even I even saw in a clinic I even saw um like a like a game uh, for cats mm-hmm. that you put it's like a closed dish with with holes mm-hmm. on on the side and uh, you put the food inside. And so the cat spends time uh, catching the food, trying to get the food. And so maybe you can do the same with keratins. You know, keratins, 
Curtains? Cartons. You know, the... Curtain. Um, oh, cartons. Like, cartons. Like egg cartons. Well, yeah, like egg cartons or, mm. or boxes. Oh, boxes. Boxes. Okay. Yeah. You know, like simple box. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can food, hide the food there and make holes on the side. Mm. And, and uh, you know, cats love uh, boxes. Yeah, they do. Yes, they love boxes. <laughs> so, so, so you can create this awesome, awesome interaction game <laughs> to hide the treat inside, the food inside, and they can spend time uh, looking for it and then feel the satisfaction of yeah. getting it. <laughs> yeah, I think those things are called puzzle feeders. So the cats, mm-hmm. they, it's like kind of like they, they have to kind of solve a puzzle almost to get the, I mean, it's a pretty simple puzzle mm-hmm. for us. But yeah, they, they, they spend time like yeah. actually interacting with it and playing with it. Yeah, it will be Happy Kitty because they, they, they have those natural hunting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, reflexes that they need to train. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I wanted to ask, Zoya, um, if you knew... Uh, aside from actually being around and knowing when one of your pets is born, is there a way to tell how old your pet is? Like, can you look at um, the teeth? Or? Yeah, the condition of the teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like if it's a youngin, it's pretty obvious. You know, like they yeah. they have, uh, they, they, they still, well, if it's a youngin, they still have those, uh, how you say milk teeth? Baby Is it okay, baby yeah. teeth? Mm. Yeah, until six months, and then they they basically by up to six months they should be changed. Mm. Uh, yeah, but then you you can see yeah it's 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 an art to be honest mm. because you should see the teeth the uh, level of of the uh, like the wear the wear mm. yeah and mm. and the condition. But usually, you, you know, like they they also change hair and like white they, hair. So they turn gray. White hair. Yeah. Yeah. They they turn gray. Like look at the old dogs. Mm. They have uh, like white, small white hairs around the nose and the mouth, and then so yeah, it's it's just. They get a little goatee. Yes, they, they get a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> they get premature balding too. <laughs> have a little comb over. Try, <laughs> but yeah, some veterinarians uh, veterinarians can uh, can say the age almost exactly. I'm, I'm, I didn't master this art yet. Uh, give it time. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about um, uh, another topic that's very similar to. Uh, Humans, kind of like we've been saying, there's you know there's these parallels between pet health and human health, uh, which is about vaccines. Um, yeah. And there's yeah. there's an article that you wrote here on uh, SOT called "Should You Vaccinate mm-hmm. Your Pet?" Um, and just looking through this, uh, of course, I, I wanted to ask you just to kind of talk about this for a minute, but also I had a specific question about the uh, the Titra test. Is that how that's pronounced? Titer. Uh, titer. Titer test. Is that something that most or all veterinarians have the ability to do? Um, or, you know, is it a very specific kind of thing? Um, well, uh, first of all, it, unfortunately, it isn't present everywhere. Like, for example, in my country, uh, if you want to do a tighter test, maybe you can do it in one clinic in, in the capital. 
but usually okay. maybe only in Russia in big clinics, but in more, uh, in quotes, developed countries like the mm. U.S. or Europe, you have a better chance of uh, getting something like this. Often it, it is expensive. Uh, so Karen Becker, uh, my favorite veterinarian, says that there are, like, she brings up a name I just don't remember right now. Uh, there is, like, one in USA laboratory that does it uh, cheaply, like $50 or something like this for a tighter test. Um, okay. So So it is possible. The idea of the tighter test is that... Um, when you get your puppy uh, or kitty vaccines, there are like basic several uh, several basic vaccinations uh, when your pet can get uh, when they are still a, a kitten or a puppy. Like for cats, it's uh, uh, like for, for dogs, it's distemper, hepatitis, uh, parvovirus, and uh, influenza, and uh, for cats, it's uh, pinea, uh, calicivirus, and uh, also the, um, I don't remember how it's called in English, uh, like a rhinobacteria, something like this. Uh, so it's recommended uh, at least to get those first shirts, shots, uh, the puppy shots, because unfortunately I saw uh, enough uh, puppies and cats and kittens that uh, did ca get those viruses and they are very lethal and dangerous and uh, they can, like for example with parvovirus for dogs, there is a high percentage of deaths death among puppies. Mm -hmm. And uh, so unless your pet is uh, living in a village and is isolated, and don't doesn't come in contact uh, with city life and other dogs. It's best to get them vaccinated the first time. Unfortunately, that's the reality. The good news is that apparently uh, vaccines for pets go through a stricter control and purification than for humans. Of course. Yes, there is a much more. Uh, there is apparently a, a better research work in this case oh my God. yes <clears throat> so uh, this is actually recommended but after they get their first vaccines like you know like they tell you that after 10 days you should come for a second hmm. uh, for, for a second vaccination and so you need to wait and then come and ask for a titer a titer uh, tests your level of immunization when a vaccination is done, a, your body, as a reaction, a, should develop a, antibodies, okay, for, for, for those specific viruses. And so if the antibodies were created, it means that um, your pet became immune mm. to those viruses. And uh, in this case, it is totally unnecessary to revaccinate and especially to revaccinate every year. So there are even, uh, like many clinics still do annual vaccinations, but it's a purely uh, money-making machine. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. even new regulations from the vaccination international vaccination association for animals mm-hmm. uh, says that uh, new regulation says that it should, your pet should be vaccinated every 3 years mm-hmm. and they even explicitly say that in some cases even tighter is enough yeah yeah so uh, if you have a dog and uh, or a cat and they get the vaccine and they got the vaccines and you receive this beautiful card from your uh, veterinarian that you you know like from the like from the dentist that yeah. uh, soon you need you you have your checkup and you need to come and see and you know like and so they send all those pretty cards and they ask that you need to re-vaccinate your pet again uh, you can come for a checkup and then ask for a titer instead of vaccination. If they look at you with those big eyes and say, we have no idea what you're talking about, and your pet is in danger, and your pet is going to die any minute now, don't believe them. Because, because you see, uh, that, that's, that's the, the, the crime that they do. And but unfortunately, like many of them, don't do it intentionally. Mm. They they just were taught like this. Like for example, many veterinary students, as far as I know, in Northern America, they don't even have a class on nutrition unless mm. you specifically like choose uh, outside and there is like extra studies. Mm. And so they come out of school very ignorant and. Uh, they basically get brainwashed yeah. by those companies like uh, what's the name Heels and uh, and uh, like the pet food companies. Yeah, like yeah. pet food companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, so yeah. So basically, you should uh, ask for a title. Yeah, it's 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 like with the with those uh, big uh, giant X-ray machines in airports. Uh, op, uh, opt out. Opt out. Yeah. <laughs> opt out. Yeah. Opt out. <laughs> Pat down instead. <laughs> so I guess along the along the lines of vaccinations, I have a similar question, which is about uh, flea and tick collars. Um, I guess what your opinion is on that? I. I had an experience, well, it was about five or six years ago now, um, where my cat was, he, he's an indoor-outdoor cat, so he goes outside in the summer, and sometimes he'll be outside for two or three days, and then he'll come back. Um, and he was outside, and I didn't have a flea collar on him that year and had done no treatments, and he brought fleas into the house, and it took me oh. like five months to get these fleas out of my house. It was one of the worst experiences I've ever had. Um, because, you know, by the time I noticed them, they were everywhere. And the poor boy, you know, he had such an awful experience with it, like worse than me because he got bit and uh, he was bit all along his stomach. And so Mm -hmm. it was really bad. And so ever since then, I've put flea collars on them every year, but I've always been kind of concerned in the back of my mind with the the toxins uh, from the collars. Um, And I've, I've read that the collars are slightly better, than doing like the frontline liquid treatment because that puts more toxins directly into their system. Um, what, what's your opinion on that? Is it is it generally okay or is it better to just try to do all natural? Um, what do you think about that? Well, you see, yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky situation because in many cases those colors don't even work. Mm. 
mm. <clears throat> because there are various uh, types of ticks and uh, fleas also can develop uh, resistance and you know like uh, they can avoid the collar and uh, you know to other body parts mm. and so not in all the cases it works uh, there are more natural uh, solutions i just uh, don't remember right now the names yeah. But uh, for example, uh, like the most, but the toxic ones, like advocate and, and you know, like those, uh, these are uh, the uh, free, free, how you call it, frontail, frontail. Like for example, the ones like frontail and advocate, they are, uh, you could say, overtly toxic. Mm. And uh, one serious mistake that many owners do is that, for example, if you need to put a drop on the back of your animal, you know, like a drop. They, they they come like with drops. And so they think one drop is inefficient. Mm. And they also try to uh, massage it in, mm. sort of. Mm. And this is the first mistake to make because uh, it's, uh, it delivers extra... Uh, it delivers extra poison into mm. the body. In some, in some cases, in, in many cats, actually, it leads uh, to... Anaphylactic shock. Oh, jeez. Yes, and it can <clears throat> basically poisoning, mm. and uh, in some cases even death, because right. these are very strong materials. Uh, and so, yeah, I would I would say that natural solutions are better, mm. even if maybe they are less effective. Uh, like, for example, for the environment, after you clean for uh, the, you know, like. Uh, if you vacuum and uh, everything, you can keep uh, under a place where your pet sleeps usually. Mm. You can keep, um, it's um, it's called Artemisia absence. Mm. How you how you say it in English? Uh, Artemisia, is that wormwood? I think that's wormwood. Wormwood, yeah. yes, exactly. Apparently wormwood, uh, like, like uh, fleas don't really like uh, wormwood. And so it, mm. it's also very good because wormwood is also a very strong anti-helminthic, mm. anti-parasitic yeah. mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but if we, if we we're talking about uh, anti-parasitic t- treatments, like, you know, you, you should give like once half a year to your pet. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, Drontal is the best. Which one? Drontal. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, mm. it's, it's mm. the least uh, lethal. Okay. Yeah. I, I know that cool. tea tree oil is actually really good for... Um, this is the atopical, when you yeah, clean your pet. Yeah. Like, for example, if you clean them, so yeah, tea tree. Tea tree and, works, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, because I know it works for lice. I didn't yeah. know if it did for fleas or, or ticks. So. Yeah. I've also know. used uh, uh, diatomaceous earth, the food-grade mm. diatomaceous mm-hmm. earth, uh, to put on the pet bed to will uh, kill the fleas, the exoskeleton. And uh, mm-hmm. with the food grade, you know, if they lick it off, it's not toxic to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know when, when I got the, the fleas in my house, that was I used diatomaceous earth on the uh, on the carpet um, mm-hmm. and also was putting uh, garlic, raw garlic, in with the, uh, with the animal's food, uh, just cutting mm-hmm. it, you know, dicing it real fine and kind of mixing it in, and that was supposed to kind of come out through their skin. Of course, it smelled like garlic, but... It did. It did help a little bit. But at that point, I was already to the the stage where the fleas had replicated, and mm-hmm. they were everywhere. 
they were just everywhere. Oh. So that I actually got to the point where I had to, um, you know, leave the house for a while, uh, bomb it, you know, move everything out, come back in, clean, oh. um, went through many, many bags of vacuums and, and all of that. And so it was, it was a horror show, but that's, that's why I got, that's why I got personally skeptical about some of the, the natural things, but, you know, at the, on the same token, I think had I done some of those things ahead of time, there would have been mm. less chance that the police would have actually come into the house um, because, you know, they, they got to the point where they blew up. Um, and then I was trying to backtrack. Um, yeah. So I have found the, uh, the callers uh, to be effective since that point. But, uh, you know, like we said, you know, there, there's toxic materials in there. And so I always feel a little bit nervous putting those on the, on the animals. And I, I haven't used the, the frontline drops uh, for years. I did use those one year, and then I read some accounts of them being extremely toxic, so I stopped using those. Well, garlic you see the interesting... Garlic the cat? Who? Garlic is garlic, yeah, the cat? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to say, that the, you should be careful because uh, the garlic, onions, uh, they are toxic to pets. Hmm. So keep, uh, don't give it to them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. For dogs, grapes is also Great. and chocolate. Don't don't forget chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Don't um, don't, give, don't, don't give chocolate to both cats and dogs because it's uh, well, cats cats usually don't like chocolate because hmm. they actually don't have uh, sweet receptors. Hmm. Yeah, cats actually are not, unable to taste sweet. Yeah, they don't oh. have them. And I've heard xylitol is one as well that you want to... Xylitol is for dogs. It's uh, lethal. Yeah. So it's extremely important mm. that you will keep everything with xylitol. And if you have a cookie made with xylitol and if it's on a counter and you have a dog, it's it's really like you, you should be super careful. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's mm. very... And as for house plants, I know lilies very toxic to cats. Huh. All kinds of lilies, mm-hmm. yeah. Some of them, you know, like they can eat and uh, and stay okay, but many of them get actually really serious poisoning. Jeez. Yeah. And will they eat them yeah. if they're there? What? Yeah, will they actually go after them if they're there? Well, you know, cats. They they it's 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 unpredictable with cats. Mm-hmm. Some some can recognize it. Some you know, like it seems like, for example, with the cats. Uh, if you know the difference between cats and dogs, that uh, cats will never eat a poisoned rat. They some for some reason they can recognize it, but with dogs this is the serious danger that they can pick up a, a poisoned rat and eat it, and then then it can lead to a serious yes, it can lead to a serious problem. Yeah. So yeah, it's so, really yeah, Oh, yeah. I want to change the topic a little bit. So if you have a question related, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead, Gabby. Yeah, sure. Well, I wanted to ask about pets and how dogs are afraid of thunder. Can you talk a little bit about that and how can we protect them? Yeah, sure. Um, well, uh, first of all, is interesting bits about the... Uh, the thunder and uh, how, uh, like maybe there are different uh, phobias 
that uh, cats and dogs can be afraid of. It can be a sound phobia, like a noise phobia, yeah. but it can be also a ozone phobia because okay. they can smell ozone in the air, especially dogs. And so uh, some of them, some specific breeds, uh, like for example, in in recently, uh, there was a case with uh, Shelties and Collies who had the fear of thunder that actually they don't have a noise phobia, but they appear to have a, a certain sensitivity, maybe it even breed related. They appear to have a certain sensitivity uh, to ozone. Hmm. They, they can sense, basically dogs, uh, maybe cats less, but they also can sense. They can sense the approaching uh, thunderstorm. Hmm or uh, any changes in, uh, in, in the weather. They are very uh, sensitive to barometric, it changes in the barometric pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way, they can sense, uh, you know, it's, it's well known that they can sense earthquakes, even, but it also depends on a specific animal because some of them, you, you know, like there is an earth, earthquake going on, but you see your kitty, see, you know, quietly sleeping on a chair. <laughs> so, so it all depends, <laughs> you know. So, so, some are very lazy and relaxed. Okay, so if you have a dog, and some dogs are really, they can become really frantic and nervous, and they run around, and they they ramp into things, and they try to get away, Mm. and uh, basically fear reflexes. Uh, So there appears to be, uh, like, and and many people tried all kinds of things. They tried uh, muscle relaxants. They tried remedy rescue, mm-hmm. and nothing worked on their pets. Mm-hmm. And so recently we saw, uh, and I also read a lot of testimonies of people, that uh, there is a very simple technique that can uh, calm your pet, not only before the thunder, and you can even do it uh, before, for example, going to a strange city or changing the environment of a pet, and you, can, and you, want to, you would like to create a relaxed environment. And so there is a simple trick that is based on research and work of uh, Temple Grandine. She has um, an autistic uh, syndrome, Mm. and uh, she learned to cope with it, to live with it. Mm. Uh, She's uh, highly functional, and uh, she developed something that is called um, like a like like a hug. Like a, like a sort of like a bear hug technique, where you put you basically need to to push your pet from both sides, and to create like a condition of immobility. And she noticed it from the behavior of a cow that a veterinarian was working on her her hooves. And put her in restraint in a specific machine that restrained her. And so she noticed how when this cow was in a restrained machine, she became suddenly very relaxed. Hmm. And so she tried the same on, she developed the same technique on autistic children actually, and it really worked to calm, uh, calming them down. And based on this idea, was developed something that is called thunder shot. You can look it up on the internet, and, and actually, very it's it's not expensive at all. I think it's cost like uh, 
up to forty dollars, mm. uh, something like this, and it has different sizes for for pets, like even for cats, hmm. and, and even div- different colors. You know, like uh, you <laughs> you can choose. Yes, it's fashionable, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it has remarkable, almost miracle effect on an animal, where you put this shirt around them, you create this strict feel around the body. And uh, and the animal feels calmer. Hmm. You know. Is it basically, is there anything special about this thunder shirt, or is it just? It's just a, a very thick hmm. uh, material that is uh, tight to the body, and hmm. uh, you know, like and uh, and yeah, it's, uh, wow. It relaxes the animal. And there are many, many testimonies of uh, of people on the internet where they share the pictures of the animals and they ex- describe how nervous they were before. Mm. They, they they could literally, you know, like scratch at the door and uh, howl. Mm. And uh, after the shirt uh, was put on. They could uh, sleep away through the thunderstorm. Wow! Yeah. Oh. I wonder if that works on people too. Mm. If you could just put on a tight sweater <laughs> and suddenly not well, be too. Uh, well, yeah, you know, like bear hugs. Yeah, this yeah. is what they designed to do. That's yeah. So uh, I I don't know like exactly what it does, mm. but if you remember, like at the beginning of the show, we were talking about oxytocin and mm. uh, and the uh, what touch mm-hmm. creates. Mm-hmm. You know, like that it that it's being activated by a touch. So maybe uh, this kind of pressure, it's a it's a low pressure but constant. Mm. Maybe this uh, low level pressure, constant pressure, uh, creates some sort of uh, maybe I don't know, maybe even endorphins. I yeah, don't know. Could be. Like. It's like a hug. It's like a, a baby that you. Put them in a towel, like mm. a, like a very tight, mm-hmm. and so they relax. Mm-hmm. Maybe it has to do some. Maybe it has something same. to do with that. Yeah, same kind of mechanism. Yeah, they call it swaddling. Mm-hmm. Swaddling, right? Yeah. Swaddling, yeah. So maybe it's a similar effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually, I, I saw it actually not the thunder shot, but one of the uh, restraint techniques in veterinary clinics that we do for cats. Mm. Is that we have this uh, restraining shirt, uh, mm. you know, like uh, like straight jacket. Uh, straight jacket. <laughs> yes, it actually looks similar to a straight jacket, yeah. but uh, maybe the cat is isn't really, really relaxed. Maybe he's more resigned, mm. but uh, but they have nowhere to go. So yeah, you have the same <laughs> same effect. <laughs> so yeah. So you should try it on and pet. And even if you don't have a thunder shirt uh, on hand, uh, you can try it with a towel. You maybe can try. Uh, what you should do is try to um, do it on your animal before the thunder. Mm. So they would could use. Uh, they would you get used to the feeling mm-hmm. because some of them can get panicky. And everything. So if you do it in a relaxed situation, you know, stroking the animal and doing it slowly and showing that everything is okay, and then uh, putting it like a towel, 
uh, around the body tight, really, really tight and see how they behave. Hmm. Maybe it can be, you know, like an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a, a few thunderstorms here where we were, and um, our dog was not used to that type of weather. And uh, mm. we did order the thunder shirt, and we put it on her last night. She's wearing it as we speak. Um, <laughs> she looks very fashionable with it on. Um, but I, I wanted to add to what Zoya said because before we got the thunder shirt, she was visibly very agitated and I was wondering um it was not before the thunderstorm but actually during it and it was very loud with lightning and um back to that idea of oxytocin I managed to get her to lay with me on the floor and just hug her and rub her and literally the dog was sweating out of stress and panting and just visibly very distressed but I noticed mm. if I just kept hugging her almost like a teddy bear and just, you know, mm. calming her down, that, that it, it definitely um, helped in that situation. I mean, she was still barking when it would come, but definitely the hugging seemed to work. So, mm. cool. And we'll report back on the Thunder shirt because, as I said, no. Because uh-huh. uh, she's dealing with some anxiety issues, too, just with a lot of change, like Zoya had said, different places and different environments. So we're going to keep the Thunder shirt on for 24 hours and see how that mm. works out. Let us know that next week. Yeah. Will do. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're um, we're approaching the uh, the end of our time, so I think that we will um, wrap up for today. Unless you guys have anything else to add at the moment, or any further questions. We're good. Well, no, okay. I think we're good. <laughs> thank well, you, Zoya. Like, yeah, I'd like to thank Zoya for sure. Thank you very much for being on. Uh, it was a real treat to have you on the full show uh, and get your yeah. insight into pet health and the different things that we can do. Um, Thank you for having me. It was great. <laughs> for sure. Hopefully we can do this more. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'd like to thank our uh, our chat room uh, participants as well. Um, people, Our chat was pretty busy today, which is cool. Uh, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, be sure to tune in to the other two Scott Radio Network shows, um, The Truth Perspective, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern and Behind the Headlines on Sunday also at 2 p.m. Eastern, and they are sure to have some interesting topics coming up this weekend. Um, so, and we'd like to ask everybody to, uh, to tune back in next week, next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We will be back on the air. Um, so thanks, everyone, again, and um, we'll see you next week. Yay. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.